Have you ever had a fair weather friend? You know, a, a, a friend that's there as long as things are good. A, a friend uh, that is there as long as you are popular, maybe. Or a friend that is there as long as you have something to offer them. But then when things get tight or things get rough or there are problems or you are no longer able to do things for this friend, all of a sudden, they're not there. Have you ever had a friend like that? Uh, one that holds you at a distance? As we look at the story of Job, we, we see that his friends are perhaps fair-weather friends. Now, maybe it's the case that they think that they are doing Job a favor. Maybe they believe that they are helping Job because they truly believe that, that Job has gotten himself into some trouble and they're going to help him find his way out. And the problem is, is that their assumptions and their presumptions are not true. And so instead of helping Job, they are heaping hot coals on Job's head. Instead of helping Job find his way out of trouble, they are pushing him further and further, or at least in the direction of grave trouble. This morning, as we continue our study of Job, we begin to see how hard it is to be faithful, and yet Job is faithful in hardship. And as we encounter hardship, it's sometimes difficult for us to be faithful. And yet we can be faithful in hardship. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Job chapter 15 as we continue to look at Job and his interactions with his friends. Notice how Job is seeking answers from God. And yet he maintains his faith during trial. Job's friends continue to hold to the doctrine of retribution. And in their second set of speeches, as we began looking at them last week, as we look at their second round of speeches, the second cycle of speeches in the book of Job, we read that they take a slightly harsher tone with Job. And they want Job to do some things and to change some things in his life when really Job hasn't done anything wrong, but, but as they hold to this doctrine of retribution, the idea that you only suffer because of sin. That's the doctrine of retribution. And they look at Job's life, and they look at all the things that he's suffering, and they tell themselves, Job, you must have been a really horrible person to, to be suffering all these things. That's evidence, Job, that, that you are just a, a dirty dog. And Job, you need to change some things in your life. And as they hold to that doctrine of retribution, that's what Job knows too. Job has grown up with the paradigm of thinking you only suffer because of wrong in your life. And yet he knows, as we know, because the narrator has told us, that Job is a righteous man, he's a blameless man. And so on the one hand, he's weighing, well, how, why am I suffering this way? If you only suffer because of sin, why am I suffering this way? And yet he has to deal with the idea of a just and loving God. Why is a just and loving God causing me to suffer if I'm a righteous person? You see, those are questions we might ask ourselves today. And if we approach those questions from the wrong mindset, we might find wrong answers. And so Job is seeking answers to why he is suffering, because his friends keep pushing this idea of the doctrine of retribution, and he must justify in his mind, or 
make sense in his mind, if he can, why he suffers. Why is God making him suffer if he is a righteous person? And they all miss the point of the conflict that Job finds himself in, and that is he's not suffering because of sin. He's suffering for other reasons. Notice the first friend Eliphaz, how he continues to to blast Job for being a, a wicked man. Job chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, just quickly notice Eliphaz's argument as he builds on it from his earlier speech. 15, verse 2. Should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Should he argue with useless talk or with words that are not profitable? Indeed, you do away with reverence and hinder meditation before God. For your guilt teaches your mouth, and you choose the language of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, and not I, and your lips testify against you. Were you the first man to be born, or were you brought up before the hills? Job, listen to what you're saying, Eliphaz says. No one else needs to indict you because you're speaking against God. Because you are claiming that you are suffering unjustly. And so you're blaming God. You're calling God an unrighteous, unjust God. And you're speaking about God in an irreverent manner. Therefore, you're condemning yourself, Job. That's what Eliphaz is reasoning. And he's saying, Job, everyone knows you suffer because of sin. And so by claiming that you don't have sin, you're making God out to be a bad guy. And he says, your words are turning you against God. Notice verse 12. Why does your heart carry you away? And why do your eyes flash that you should turn your spirit against God and allow such words to go on out of your mouth? Job, your, your, your defense of yourself is turning you against God. It's making you a greater enemy to God than your own sins in the past have made you. You need to watch what you're saying, Job. Because what you're saying is not true. It is not accurate. And so he's, he's heaping these coals upon Job, claiming that Job must have really had sin in his life and is therefore deserving what he's going through and that Job shouldn't be talking the way that he is, claiming his innocence. Notice verse 14 and then verse 20. What is man that he should be pure? Or who is, he, or who is born of woman that he should be righteous? And then verse 20. The wicked man rise in pain all his days, and numbered are the years stored up for the ruthless. Sounds of terror are in his ears. While at peace the destroyer comes upon him. He does not believe that he will return from darkness, and he is destined for the sword. Everyone knows, Job, that no one can be righteous before God. All of us sin in some way, Job, and we suffer for it. And so Job... You must be an unrighteous man because look how bad you're suffering. This idea of the doctrine of retribution, that we only suffer because of sin in our life. And Job, that must be why you're suffering. You need to quit trying to defend yourself and just turn back to God. You need to repent. God is not unjustly tormenting you. And then there's Beldad, Job's other friend who makes some of the same claims that Eliphaz does, but he talks about how a wicked man will deny his sin and fall further away from God. Notice chapter 18, verses 5 through 10. Indeed, the light of the wicked goes out, and the flame of fire gives no light. The light in his tent is darkened. 
and the lamp goes out above him. His vigorous stride is shortened, and his own scheme brings him down. For he is thrown into the net by his own feet, and he steps on the webbing. A snare seizes him by the heel, and a trap snaps shut on him. A noose for him is hidden in the ground, and a trap for him on the path. And so Beldad says, Job, look, everyone knows that a wicked man is going to deny that he's wicked. Everybody knows a wicked man is going to claim that he's sinless, that he's innocent. And so by laying out his defense, Job, he's going to set a trap for himself. He's going to get caught up in his own words. He's going to get caught up in his own sin. And he's not even going to know it because he's rationalizing his sin. And Job, that's what you're doing. That's what Beldad is really suggesting. And so he says, because of that, such a person is going to be destroyed. Look at chapter 18 and verse 18. He is driven from the light into darkness and chased from the inhabited world. He has no offspring or prosperity among his people, nor any survivor where he sojourned. And so he says, Job, look, you're going to be destroyed. And you are destroyed because of your sin. In essence, he is suggesting that Job is so sinful that God is utterly destroying Job because Job doesn't know God. Notice verse 21. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. Remember how we're introduced to Job in chapter 1 and chapter 2? That even God himself sees Job as being a blameless, upright man, and God himself identifies Job as being blameless and upright. In fact, he says, Satan, there's no one like him on the earth. Job was a man that was extremely close to God. And when Bildad says, Job, you are like this person who does not know God, the verse is dripping with irony. Because Bildad is judging Job as being someone who doesn't even know God. All because in their mindset, in their way of thinking, the only reason you suffer is because of sin. And that's how they're looking at Job. Job, there must be something horrible in your life for you to be suffering this way. And they're setting Job up to confront God, to question God. Why am I suffering? What's the great sin in my life that I'm suffering this way? Notice the final friend, Zophar. As he argues with Job, and he too joins the crowd in saying that Job is such a wicked man. He says the wicked may survive or may thrive temporarily, but God's going to take them out. Notice chapter 20, verse 3. I listen to the reproof which insults me, and the spirit of my understanding makes me answer. Do you know, from, know this from old? From the establishing of man on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless momentarily. Though his loftiness reaches the heavens and his head touches a cloud, his, he perishes forever like his refuse. Though he have, we have seen him, those who have seen him will say, Where is he? He flies away like a dream, and they cannot find him. Even like a vision of the night, he is chased away. 
The eye which, which saw him sees him no longer, and his place no longer beholds him. His sons favor the poor, and his hands give back his wealth. His bones are full of youthful vigor, but it lies down with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue. Though he desires it, and will not let it go but holds it in his mouth. Yet his food in his stomach is changed, and the venom of cobras is within him. He swallows riches, but will vomit them up. God will expel them from his belly. He sucks the poison of cobras. The viper's tongues slay him. Do you, do you see what Zophar is saying? Zophar is saying, look, Job, everyone knows that the, 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 that the wicked, they may prosper for a period of time. They may have great riches for a period of time. They may have great things in their lives for a period of time. But there's going to come a day in which God causes them to suffer. In which the food in their belly is going to sour. It's going to be like the poison of snakes and it's going to do them in. Eventually they will die. Eventually they will suffer. Now remember when Zophar is saying this. He is saying this to a man who we are introduced to in chapter 1 and 2 as being a man of great wealth and great riches by the standard of antiquity. And now all those things have been taken away from Job. What's so far saying? Job, you may have been allowed to prosper for a period of time, but now your sins have finally caught up with you and God has taken those things away from you. And Job, the implication is, you need to repent. God is holding you accountable. And so here's Job wrestling with the paradigm of the day, the doctrine of retribution, you only suffer because of sin. Uh, on the one hand, he has heard this all of his life. And, and, and in his mind, he thinks this to be the case. But now as he is experiencing it, he has to wrestle with the fact that he is suffering tremendously. His children have all died. His wealth has been taken away. His servants, most of them, have been killed or led away by bands of Chaldeans and other peoples. He has nothing left. And even his own health has been taken away from him. And he is suffering physically, emotionally, financially. His life is in ruins. And as he looks at what his life has become, he's having to wrestle with the fact of, God, why, why is this happening to me? If I only suffer because of sin, God, what have I done that have has caused you to make me suffer like this. And he begins to blame God. And he, he, he begins to want to confront God for why he is suffering so that he can get to the bottom of the reason for his suffering. God, if you are a just God, why is this happening to me? You see, when we begin to say that we only suffer because of sin and wrong in our life, We must find out why a just and loving God would make us suffer. And that's where Job's at. And as his friends blame him for being an unrighteous man, he must now defend his life and defend himself. And while he does that, 
Job begins to recognize, you know what, as I look around my life and I look around what have I experienced in life, all of a sudden it dawns on me. Sometimes the dirty, rotten scoundrels are the ones that seem to prosper. And it's not the case that sometimes they lose everything. And it's not the case that they die with nothing. Sometimes they die rich and they die in comfort while the righteous suffer. How can that be just? How can that be fair? Notice what Job says. Chapter 21, verse 3. Bear with me that I may speak, that after I speak you may mock. As for me, is my complaint to man? And why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. And put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember, I am disturbed. And horror takes hold of my flesh. Why do the wicked still live? Continue on and become very powerful? Their descendants are established in their own sight. And their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. And the rod of God is not on them. His ox mates without fail. His cow calves and does not abort. They send forth their little ones like the flock, and their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and harp, and they rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, and suddenly they go down to Sheol. They die without any problem. They die without any conflict. He continues, verse 14. They say to God, Depart from us, and we do not even declare or desire the knowledge of your ways. Who was the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what would we gain if we entreat him? Job says, there are wicked people who want nothing to do with God. And they say, why should we even seek God? Why should we even desire God? Why should we entreat God? Look, we have everything we need. We're driving Ferraris or Lamborghinis. They wear the finest clothes. They eat the finest foods. Job says they want nothing to do with God and they're wicked. They take advantage of people. They abuse people. They they sin. They're wicked. And yet they prosper. And then suddenly they die and they've enjoyed all these things. Job is wrestling with why he is suffering when there are wicked people that get away with everything. Have you ever had those thoughts? You ever wondered those things? And that's what Job is wrestling with. That's what Job is struggling with. And so Job seeks his day before God. We come back to chapter 16. Some of the earlier chapters that we've seen, Job has already made these claims. And in some of the next chapters that that we will look at, he wrestles with these things in greater detail. But notice how he wants his day before God to understand and seek an answer from God as to why he's suffering. Chapter 16 and verse 6. If I speak, my pain is not lessened. And if I hold back, what has left me? But now he has exhausted me. You laid waste all my company. You have shriveled me up. It has become a witness, and my leanness rises up against me. It testifies to my face. He has has torn me and hunted me down. He has gnashed at me with his teeth. My adversary glares at me. 
They have gaped at me with their mouth. They have slapped me on the cheek with contempt. They have, amassed, they have masked themselves against me. God hands me over to ruffians and tosses me into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he has shattered me. He has grasped me by the neck and shaken me to pieces. He has also set me up as his target. His arrows surround me. Without mercy, he splits my kidneys open. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks through me with breach after breach. He runs at me like a warrior. I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and thrust my horn into the dust. My face is flushed with weeping. Deep darkness is on my eyelids. Although there is no violence in my hands and my prayer is pure. Job says, look what God has done for me. You see, he's not blaming anyone else. He's holding God accountable. He's holding God responsible for the things that he's suffering. God, why are you doing these things to me? Why am I suffering this way? And then look at verse 21. Oh, that a man might plead with God as a man with his neighbor. For when a few years are past, I shall... Re- I shall go the way of no return. You see, he's wanting to plead his case with God. He's wanting to be able to lie out before God his life and be able to show show God, look, I've been a good person. I've been a righteous person. I've been someone that's trusted in you. I've been someone that has followed you. And yet, this is why, this is, even though that's the case, this is how I'm suffering. God, is this fair? God, is this right? God is this just. You see, when we put in our minds that the only reason we suffer is because of sin, those are the questions that we ask. And we seek to rationalize and to justify and to defend ourselves and to seek for answers. Job's world is turning upside down and he doesn't understand why and he's desperately seeking answers. And sometimes we suffer in life and we have trials in our lives and we don't understand it. Our world is turned upside down and we're seeking to make sense of it. And that's what Job is doing. That's where Job is at, trying to make sense of the matter. And when we find ourselves in that position, what can we do? In the midst of a topsy-turvy world or context, it's easy to question to the point of disbelief. And it can draw us to a point of hating God. It can draw us to a point of despising God, of not believing in God, or of blaming God, and therefore making ourselves distant from God. Or, it can point us to relying and depending on God. Which way will Job go? Notice how Job, as he questions, and even as he holds God ultimately responsible, still relies on God and sees his ultimate relief in his suffering as coming from God. Even as his friends blame him for sins he has not done, and even in his own mind as he wrestles with this idea of having grown up in a society that believed that you only suffer because of sin, even with all of those things weighing on his mind, he still sees God as his defender and the one who will bring him 
relief. Job articulates that even though God is responsible, ultimately he will stand justified before God and that he can trust in God. Notice chapter 19, verse 21 following. Pity me. Pity me, O my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? You see, he certainly and very clearly articulates that he believes that God is doing this to him. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. In other words, wouldn't it be great if I were able to make my case and write it down and give a summons to God? So I could ask Him, why am I suffering the way that I'm suffering? But even as he has that desire, notice that he, what he says in verse 25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how shall we persecute him, and what pretext for a case against him can we find, then be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword, so that you may know that there is judgment. In other words, Job says, look, I know that I am suffering. And I wish that I could stand before God to be vindicated and to find relief. But as he says that, Job says, I know that even though God is causing me to suffer, I know that eventually God will hear my case and He will redeem me. My skin may rot away, but eventually I can rely on God and know that He will vindicate me. And by the way, you friends of mine who have abandoned me and have turned your back on me and are saying these evil things against me, you need to be careful. Because when you put words in God's mouth, He'll hold you accountable Himself. And so even though God, Job is suffering, and even though he seeks these answers, still he knows and trusts in God. Finally, Job believes that God is the source of, of his suffering. And yet he knows that God will restore him or bring him relief. Notice chapter 16, verse 16. My face is flushed from weeping, and deep darkness is on my eyelids. Although there is no violence in my hands, and my prayer is pure. O earth, do not cover my blood, and let there be no resting place for my cry. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. And my advocate is on high. My friends are my scoffers. My eye weeps to God. Oh, that a man might plead with God as a man with his neighbor. For when a few years are past, I shall go the way of no return. Even though Job is suffering, he believes that God is the one causing him to suffer. He knows that some, at some point, God in heaven will witness what's going on in Job's life. And that he has an advocate on his behalf. 
and that God will at some time bring him relief. And he says, my eye weeps to God. Job does not abandon God or lose his reliance or his trust in God, but instead he recognizes that God is the only one that can bring him relief and that God knows his integrity and that God will eventually supply him with the answer as to why he's suffering or at least supply him with relief from his suffering. There are times in our lives when we suffer and we don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. And we may struggle with why God is allowing something to happen to us. We can go one of two ways. We can distance ourselves from God. Or we can have this trust and this faithfulness to God and know that God is going to see us through. And that God is going to redeem us. God is going to be our advocate. God is going to heal us. If you're here this morning and there is sin in your life that you need to be healed from, and you want to be united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism so that you can live for God. Whatever your need, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.